Hello and welcome to Integrating Chinese Medicine with the Dow Health. I'm Elizabeth Cullen. And I'm Georgia Fong. And we are traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists. We are your hosts, providing an educational platform for practical ways to integrate Eastern medicine into your Western lifestyle. Throughout this podcast series, we will be discussing the benefits of getting to know our bodies in a practical sense and how to be an advocate for your own health. Today we've had the pleasure of interviewing physiotherapist Heidi Barlow, who specialises in women's health and pelvic floor health. Heidi graduated from the University of Sydney with a Master's of Physiotherapy in 2014. Over the last four years, she has developed a special interest in the area of women's health physiotherapy and has pursued this by completing a number of courses through the Women's Health Training Associates. She practices at Flow Physio Co in Sutherland and has been specialising in women's health physio for the last three years. She is also a certified APPI Pilates instructor and a keen netballer. Materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for personal advice, diagnosis and treatment. We hope you enjoy this chat as much as we did. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Heidi, we love working with you and Charlotte in a shared care setting and and for our patients, we know that they greatly benefit from the manual therapy of internal pelvic floor physio with you. So we're so looking forward to picking your brain today on this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. So I think we should begin then. Um, Our number one question is, um, what is internal pelvic floor physiotherapy? So I guess, I mean, that's a a big, a big question. (laughs) Um, question. (laughs) Let's get it, get us started. Um, Straight into it. So, yeah, I guess like it's very different to normal kind of you know everyone's traditional idea of physiotherapy um Mm. women's health physio is um obviously a specialist area that we do further study to be able to kind of work in um so yeah it's hugely different to you know going into a private practice physio or seeing someone in a hospital setting where they might be doing cardiorespiratory physio Um, women's health physio is kind of all centered on pelvic floor um, bladder conditions, bowel conditions, um, pain conditions, um, anything that can essentially occur around the pelvis is what we specialize in. And of course, that includes um, pregnancy, postpartum care, um, and yeah, anything essentially to do with the pelvis. So yeah, that's kind of like the general sense of what we do, but obviously there are really specific conditions that we are treating. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of covers yeah, a general idea of what we do. And Heidi, is there a similar treatment available for men as well as women? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I honestly can't um, tell you too much about it because I've never worked in men's health. Yeah. Um, and Charlotte would say the same that we um, just focus on. We just literally primarily 
um, treat women. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, um, male anatomy is very different, but they still have pelvic floor muscles. Um, and obviously they have a big function um, for both men and women. It's just very different. So yeah, we just focus on females. Okay. And so I guess the first time that I ever was introduced to the pelvic floor was on Sex and the City with Samantha and she's doing <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> and I remember with, um, and in Pilates, but I only really yes. learned about pelvic floor internal physio treatment, to be honest, through you and Charlotte a few years ago and knowing that that was actually available. And so I guess why is it so important for women's health that we look into this type of treatment and therapy? Yeah. So, I mean, I would have been the same. Like if you'd asked yeah. me what pelvic floor physio was like 10 years ago, I literally wouldn't have even known no idea. that it existed. Um, so it was only that kind of, you know, through my training um, of doing physio, like um, normal physio kind of treatment um, that you, there was kind of a bit of a gap in my knowledge of how to be able to treat pelvic floor and, you know, pregnant women would come in and you need to kind of know how to treat them differently and what sort of conditions can mm. kind of come up there. Um, so that's what then um, drove me to look into women's health stuff more. And I think, yeah, GPs and um, the medical system is starting to be a little bit better at kind of referring to pelvic floor physio and, you know, educating women that there are things that um, that they can look into if they're struggling with incontinence or um, in pain during their pregnancy and the importance of, you know, having a strong functional pelvic floor. Um, so there's three, I guess, main roles of the pelvic floor. So um, firstly, um, it aids in um, urinary and fecal continence. So maintaining continence for us, which is obviously really important. And then it aids in sexual function. And then thirdly, it kind of like, like you said, holds everything inside. So it's supporting our bladder, our bowel and our uterus and holding mm. that, those three pelvic organs inside the pelvis. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And just, so, important. and just like you go for physio, say, for example, for a limb or other mm. areas um, of your body, I guess you, you can treat the pelvic floor like that as well. And how, what was that extra type of training that you did? So that yeah. you create the internal pelvic floor. Yeah. So um, the extra training that both Charlotte and I have done um, is just extra courses. So that are specifically um, under women's health training. Mm -hmm. So courses on bladder function, courses on bowel function, pelvic floor. Um, we obviously need to be trained in how to do internal examinations because that's a huge part of what we do to assess and treat pelvic floor. Yeah, okay. It's one thing to kind of look at pelvic floor on ultrasound, mm. um, but it doesn't sort of tell you what the muscles are like at breast. And quite often we'll see women who have overactive pelvic floor which you would yeah. never see on ultrasound because you can only see the lift you can't really see whether it was lifted already at rest okay. yeah. um so that's yeah a huge part of our training is learning how to assess and then obviously to treat all of these types of um of conditions and then the other thing with pelvic floor is like there are so many changes that happen in the pelvis and with hormones and everything, as you guys would know, across the lifespan for women. So, you know, when you get your first period, when you become sexually active, um, through like if you fall pregnant, pregnancy changes, hormones and the pelvis, and then postpartum, we're looking at a completely um, different change to your pelvic floor. And then the um, next change is then through menopause and that kind of affects your vaginal tissues. And that's sometimes when issues can come up if someone's 
being totally asymptomatic of any sort of prolapse or incontinence or anything like that, sometimes menopause will then bring on some symptoms for some women. Okay, so you really look after women through each season of their cycle. Yeah, yeah. literally from like young young women all the way through to our oldies. Do you find that this is being, it has grown now? So like the, the more GPs and more specialists are referring to you? Yeah, definitely. Like it's still got a long way to go yeah. um, because yeah. still we'll have heaps of women that come in that have no idea that physios can can treat this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not such a like, you know, um, incontinence and stuff like that. It's not such like taboo to talk about like it probably used to be. Yeah. It's getting better. So women are sort of more, more open to having those sorts of conversations now, which is really good because um, the more you talk about it, yeah, I think the the more common women realize these sorts of issues are but the fact that they're common doesn't make them normal yeah yeah Yeah. and I know a lot of my patients that come in I recommend for them to see you or Charlotte to have their pelvic floor assessed so if a woman comes in what would they expect out of a treatment from you and how long would that treatment last and do they have at home exercises because like we said before we know pilates helps support that t-zone and pelvic floor yeah (laughs) but what else can women do and what's like what does your treatment look like it really depends because mm. um, depends kind of what they're coming in for. More often than not, they'll have a condition or a, a main complaint that they're coming in for. Um, it's not so common for someone to come in just for a general check when they don't have any symptoms or any issues to, to sort of come in. Um, so let's say someone came in postpartum, their treatment may look very different to someone coming in like a young sort of 21 year old female who's, you know, just being diagnosed with endometriosis after having a laparoscopy or something like that. So pain conditions are treated very differently to say a pelvic floor weakness. Um, So um, like someone postpartum, we might see them for like a six week checkup. Yeah. And depending on how they're going, like more often than not, they're probably going to have some sort of um, pelvic floor weakness if they've had a vaginal birth. Um, That may or may not come with symptoms. They may not have any incontinence or any um, issues, but we may on assessment um, see that they're a bit weak. Mm. Um, So then we'd be kind of just working on building their strength up and making sure that they're getting their core and everything um, firing better um, compared to someone who's coming in with like, pain um say for example we're trying to help them manage their endo symptoms Mm. um we would be seeing them not so much like really frequently but over a period of like probably at least 12 months um sometimes ongoing depending on um how they're managing because obviously everyone's different so we kind of work our way through the actual physical assessment quite often looks quite similar whether we're seeing someone for weakness or seeing someone for pain because we're essentially wanting to internally examine their pelvic floor seeing what their tone is like at rest are their muscles really really grippy and tight Um, and do they have pain when we examine them compared to someone who might be weaker who might have no real pain or sensation with the examination Mm. Um, but they might really struggle to sort of get their pelvic floor to squeeze so that's kind of what we're checking what their resting tone is like can they squeeze their muscles can they relax their muscles so when after they've squeezed can they actually let them go 
And then if we're doing more of a pain assessment, we're kind of palpating various muscles internally and sort of asking for feedback. Does that refer into your tummy? Does that refer into your hip? Um, What does that feel like? Um, And then kind of an assessment of the abdominal wall as well, checking for kind of muscle overactivity, gripping, and that, that sort of thing can happen with pain conditions. Um, and weakness sort of postpartum if they've got abdominal separation then we're working on treating that too and so for treatment at home so say for example tools like the pelvic wand yes when are these used often um and do you find that a lot of people do you use you prescribe them for use at home is that how that usually works as well Kind of again, so different. Like so different, yeah. individual, um, fix everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's only. Um, so for those of you that are listening that don't know what the pelvic floor or the pelvic wand is, it's essentially like if we've treated someone and they've got some real tightness or trigger points internally that we've kind of felt, we may have done some manual releasing where we've kind of internally released that muscle, and then we've said, okay, just sort of monitor how your symptoms feel for a few days if that really helped doing the releasing will teach you how to do it yourself because obviously internally it's really hard to reach some of those spots with your hands and trying to get yourself in a position where you can kind of relax and use a tool that can kind of reach those spots is much easier so the pelvic one's essentially like a yeah a device with a handle that you can hold that you can literally kind of reach some spots internally and be able to kind of manually release so again it kind of depends how tight they are how sensitive the tissues are on the inside because sometimes if you get someone to do some manual releasing with the wand it might cause them to flare afterwards so we want to just really make sure that they're being really gentle doing you know three sets of 10 sweeps on one side and the same on the other and just sort of monitoring their symptoms after that we'd never get them to repeat that again until the pains really kind of settled down Um, but it may they may be using it like three days a week they Mm -hmm. may just use it after they've exercised to try and sort of release any tightness that's built up Mm -hmm. because most of the time if we're getting them to release it's because they're quite overactive through their pelvic floor it's kind of too tight and we're trying to teach it how to get better at releasing or letting go Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. And it's not something something that everyone has to use forever. It's yeah. just kind of like you said, like a bit of a tool in your belt for, you know, if you're feeling tight, if your hips niggly, like if you're um if you're particularly sore from, you know, working out and doing something different to normal, then at least you've got that way of then being able to like you would do a stretch or use a spiky ball to release something. It's the same sort of um thing just for your internal muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'd be really interested to know how does internal treatment benefit vaginismus or painful intercourse? Yeah. Yeah. So vaginismus being obviously lots of um, kind of nerve sensitivity and muscle spasm that then can come from that too. And lots of women kind of think like, if they're in that situation and like they're anticipating that intercourse is going to be painful because it has previously been. Mm. And then they kind of start to think like it's all in their head and that they just need to, you know, try and relax. Mm. Um, so much easier said than done when your brain kind of gets involved in um, generating, yeah, all these nerve pathways that are making the pain worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the lots of, 
those sorts of painful conditions, we spend a lot of time kind of working on diaphragm breathing because mm. if you can get your diaphragm to descend really well, it actually kind of helps your pelvic floor to descend, okay. um, which can help with it relaxing too. So we always kind of start from those sort of basics because if your breathing is dysfunctional, it generally tends to impact your pelvic floor. Yeah. And most women won't realize that there is a relationship between the anxiety that they might have um, or, you know, stress and the body's reaction to mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. Um, but it does. It makes us sort of tense our hips and our pelvis and our pelvic floor. Yeah. And that's something that we really want to try and make women aware of so that then they can sort of start to break that cycle. But then with conditions like vaginismus and um, like vulvodynia and things like that, Mm -hmm. where there's a real nerve component, we then need to treat that nerve component. And one way that we do that, other than kind of trying to sort of manually release the muscles, because sometimes they're in too much pain to tolerate any of that manual therapy. So we just have to kind of pull it back a bit. They'd be doing some hip mobility stuff. And like I said, the breathing work, Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes we'll end up using um, external and then internal vaginal um, electrical stimulation, which is essentially um, like a a little machine, kind of like a TENS machine, Mm -hmm. um, which women may or may not have used for kind of lower back pain and they can be used in labor and stuff like that. Um, Use it for period pain. Yeah, exactly. That's too. Yeah, there's Ding a new dong. one for endo. Yeah. 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 So yeah. essentially it's trying to give a stimulus to the nerves um, that's sort of distracting the brain, essentially. It's blocking your pain gate signals, which is kind of providing a different stimulus to the area other than pain, touch, pressure um, that we know will p- sort of provoke that that pain. Yeah. So yeah, either the um, woman would have like little electrodes that are placed like literally outside the vagina and they'll like run the machine for 20 minutes and they might be doing the program of it for six to 12 weeks where they right. use that machine um, three be, days a week. Would it be on their hips or is it more through the labia or like? Yeah, it's actually like, well, it depends on again where the sensitivity is, yeah, um, okay. but usually it's like, yeah, literally outside the labia. Oh, wow, um, okay. And then we'll start, start from that if they've got sensitivity externally. If they don't have that, then we can use an internal probe, which goes like a vaginal probe, goes into the vagina. Mm, it's yeah. got two kind of metal electrodes on either side and that kind of contacts the muscles on the inside of the pelvis and then they'll feel that same sort of tapping or um, tingling sensation on the inside to try and create that same um, response for the muscles internally fantastic so fascinating and it just yeah Yeah. just try and sort of calm the nervous system yeah okay and then so do you usually with a patient who's experiencing these symptoms will they usually be the emotional aspect that they unpack with say for example a psychologist at the same time Yeah, quite often, yeah, they might be um, already seeing someone. Um, Hopefully their GP um, is nine times out of ten really good with kind of that whole, um, you know, Holistic, um, holistic yeah that's what um holistic approach to to treatment because yeah there's not um there's not one therapist that can kind of treat all of these issues in their entirety yes. so yeah we're kind of just treating the muscular component of some of these issues there's obviously yeah like you said um quite often psychological barriers going on as well um so yeah that's 
a, a big part of what we do is try and sort of treat the muscular response to the pain that's potentially mm. like in women who have endo or adenomyosis. Yeah. There's a, a true driver that's obviously um, something that we can't fix. Yeah. But what we can do is try to help, yeah, give them some more tools to try and help manage the pain that might be coming from their muscles being really tired from gripping all the time and, mm. yeah, teach them how to sort of have some strategies to be able to cope better with pain yeah so as you mentioned endo and adenomyosis mm. may as well mm. start to jump in there as well so yeah. a lot of patients who have chronic endometriosis we've seen brilliant outcomes with you and charlotte of how their pelvic floors change and pain management mm. um i'm just going to jump in with dysmenorrhea as well so yeah. we don't forget about our women who have painful periods yeah you know, um, actually haven't been diagnosed with endo as yet, or maybe yep. didn't have endo. But if we were to talk about that type of category of patient, when are you treating them throughout the month and what does a treatment protocol look like for them? So I guess for our women, there's not necessarily like a part in their cycle where we're like, okay, we want to see you at this part in okay. your yeah. in your month. Yeah. Um, we can see them at any point. So um, we can see them, yeah, literally um anytime mm -hmm. and do that assessment kind of see what their muscles are like um see how they tolerate an internal exam if they can or if they can't mm -hmm. um and then yeah kind of go through that sort of talk through the breathing stuff talk through the relationship of diaphragm and pelvic floor mm -hmm. um talk through kind of what they're doing exercise wise because mm -hmm. obviously there are periods in their cycle where they're not going to feel like they can exercise or they're going to feel fatigued they're going to feel um, yeah, like they're sore and they just don't have the energy to, to exercise. Mm. Um, but we know that exercise is such a good thing for our bodies. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like partly kind of mapping out in their cycle when it's appropriate for them to exercise and yeah. giving them, you know, on the days that they're more fatigued and more tired, then that's a good day to do more your mobility and your stretching and yeah. um, not push yourself too much because otherwise we know that cycle can um, can continue. There'll be more fatigue. The pain's going to feel worse. Um, so yeah, it's kind of going through all that educational stuff and just making sure they have a really good understanding of um, pacing and those sorts of uh, those sorts of things. Ever since you educated me about the diaphragm, I've really noticed with patients with dysmenorrhea and yeah. endo when we do the breathing exercises on the bed, is that the breath yeah. is coming from the upper abdomen rather than lower. Ah. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you start to check in with diaphragmic breath. Am I saying that yeah. right? Yeah, diaphragmatic diaphragm. Yeah. Changes the game. Yeah. And they find it, yeah. And they find it so hard. Like it's really difficult if you're not used to kind of relaxing your tummy. And yeah. you know, um, now, now, Nowadays, it's terrible. You know, everyone's like pulling everything in, like you're constantly mm, trying to make your stomach look as flat as possible. But yeah. it's actually really bad for your pelvic floor because anytime you're pulling your tummy in, you're naturally kind of gripping your pelvic floor as well. And that can kind of wind things up even more. So yes. I think it's just that awareness of kind of knowing how to let go, like realizing that you're doing it a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, because of one thing to, you know, spend five minutes doing your diaphragm breathing exercises. But if you're not kind of then, being able to take that into your day or when you're stressed or when you're sore mm, then yeah. it's not going to have its full effect yeah 
Yeah. I guess, do you um, usually see with a whole tight diaphragm or not breathing properly through your diaphragm that, that mm. a lot of patients do have, say, for example, hypertonic or a tighter pelvic floor rather than, I think, in, as a general community, we're so worried about a looser pelvic floor. Yeah. But it seems quite common that there is this yes. tight pelvic floor that is associated with a lot of these conditions. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. All of the pain sort of conditions that we're treating, um, nine times out of 10, I would say they have some sort of breathing dysfunction. And like they might, as we're going through this sort of stuff, be like, oh, no wonder like my neck and shoulders get so tight or I'm always, you know, having physio for that or they're really stiff through their thoracic spine because their rib cage doesn't expand well. Um, whereas yeah women with sort of weaker pelvic floor that's a bit mm-hmm. looser then they may not have that sort of breathing dysfunction um, yeah. it's more that we're actually trying to teach them how to strengthen their core and strengthen yeah. their pelvic floor and start to use those muscles because obviously like postpartum you know pregnancy they're so limited in what sort of core stuff you can do yeah um, so they tend to then lose a lot of that strength and it doesn't just unfortunately um, come yeah. straight back you've really got to kind of work on that's on fine. getting that back again yeah yeah for sure um but you're so right as a i think as a general like population we're also worried about having a looser pelvic floor yeah. that we're all like thinking about doing our kegel to support a tight to the pelvic floor yes and like there's so much more to it rather than just incontinence or whatever yes. it may be that you're concerned yes. about yeah but, yeah it's a whole other there's a whole other side that and how much a hypertonic or a tight pelvic floor can connect or and affect your entire body yeah and exactly exactly pain yeah yeah yes. and, ma- and making that con- connection of when you're stressed that your pelvic floor can also tighten I think it's just like yeah mind-blowing yeah <laughs> yeah because it's your central nervous system right like it's, it's exactly also connected yeah but it solidifies that interconnectedness of like the diaphragm and the pelvic floor yeah. and our muscles and our central nervous system yeah. that it all plays into one yeah yeah yeah, yeah just But I really like the analogy that you guys use in your podcast about thinking about dropping the pebble into the water. Yeah. So that's one that we'll kind of use when we're, I mean, when we're trying to teach pelvic floor, when we assess it, we'll generally kind of just let women do what they, most people have sort of tried to do pelvic floor before. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to then, you know, when you're literally got your finger on those muscles, checking to see if they're doing the right thing. Um, Most of the time women are doing the right thing, but it's the ones that aren't doing the right thing that we want to really kind of catch because some people will bear down rather than actually kind of pulling up. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we've got to have a string of cues up our sleeve because not, you know, one visual cue might not work well for someone. They might need more of like a verbal cue or like thinking of like drawing a tampon up or like you said, kind of the pebble that if you imagine that we've got a pebble that I'm holding in my hand and then I dropped that into water, you would see the pebble hit the water and you'd see the ripples kind of go out to the side. But what you you want your pelvic floor to be able to do when it's squeezing is kind of that in reverse. So think the ripples kind of coming back in, the pebble coming out of the water and lifting back up to my hand would be kind of the external pelvic floor. Your superficial pelvic floor is kind of the the ripples drawing in. And then your deep pelvic floor is the the muscles that are actually doing that lift. And so sometimes with trying to help pelvic floor let go for women who are really tight or overactive, Mm. we're trying to help them learn how to actually let go and release. So yeah, it depends on what we're trying to work on as to what sort of cue we'll use. Um, And yeah, like I said, not, there's not one cue that works 
perfectly for everyone. So we've just got to have a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Before we jump into preconception and pregnancy, I just wanted to come back to endo. Um, yeah. And do you find that internal pelvic floor does, does support women with endometriosis and adamiosis? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. there is such a, you know, your body's, there's pain in an area it's natural response is to kind of your muscles will then grip to sort of protect the area so same if you've got lower back pain if you really acutely hurt your lower back or your back muscles kind of grip and they go into spasm to try and sort of protect the area Mm -hmm. and as much as it's our body trying to stop you from being in more pain the muscular component of those muscles getting really tight, really tired can then generate more pain. So Mm. we want to just, yeah, teach them kind of how they can have some strategies, whether that's, you know, hip stretches, breathing exercises, um, pelvic wand, whatever it is to try and have a way of trying to help treat those muscles. Yeah. And does that, is that also similar of what you've said for endo and adamiosis, how you would also treat dysmenorrhea? So yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, literally exactly the same because it's the same, like regardless of whether you have that diagnosis of endo or yeah. not, you can be like your symptoms can be so similar. Yeah. And exactly your your body's response to pain is going to be to yeah, exactly grip, spasm. Um yeah. and you know, like your period pain like the cramping that you get it kind of makes you want to adopt that like fetal position where you're kind of really slumped and hunched over and um what we try to sort of encourage women to do when they're in those flares is kind of do some really gentle stretching open up the hips um get the abdominal wall to to move get the thoracic spine a little bit more mobile so that um yeah they're just encouraging them to get out of those really poor postures Fantastic. So preconception and pregnancy side of things. Yeah. Um, should there be a pelvic floor assessment prior to falling pregnant or do you recommend this being treated or uh, investigated throughout pregnancy and if so, when? Yeah, so um, we don't routinely see women um, prior to falling pregnant. Um, the reason that we'll see them outside of pregnancy um is more if they've got any stress incontinence or if they've had any other issues that they've presented to us for Um, because you can get leaking um, like stress incontinence with um, exercise or coughing, sneezing. Some women have really mobile urethras. Um, So sort of the bladder neck can be really flexible. Um, And if their connective tissue is just really flexible, then they may have had leaking since they were younger. Um, And that's something that we, uh, that they might present to us, not having any obstetric history, but just wanting to kind of get that solved Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of why we might see them beforehand but we don't routinely kind of recommend that anyone comes in just for a pelvic floor check um just because they're wanting to fall pregnant okay so during pregnancy we just don't want to do an internal examination um in the first trimester Okay. So if we do see anyone in um, their early stages of pregnancy, we can still kind of talk through pelvic floor, what's safe to do exercise wise, um, make sure they're not in too much pain. And we can still kind of talk through their bladder and bowels and sexual function. Um, but just because the risk is obviously really high in that first trimester, we don't want to be doing anything internally 
um, until they've kind of cleared that all their scans are fine at that 12 weeks and then provided their placenta is not low lying, then we're fine to kind of do an internal and check what their pelvic floor is like. Yeah. Um, so it can be any time sort of from that 12 weeks onwards that we might see someone in pregnancy. Certainly after they've had their 20-week scan and we know placenta position and all of that, then that's probably more commonly where aches and pains and things like that start to come up, whether that's lower back, whether that's hip pain, um, pelvic girdle pain. Um, so women might go, okay, I'll need to go and see a physio for these pains. I might just go and get my pelvic floor checked at the same time. Um, and that's really good, like a good time for us to see them because if we need to work on down training their pelvic floor, then we've still got plenty of time to work on that over the rest of the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And if we need to get them stronger, we've still got plenty of time to, to work on strengthening exercises and, yeah. Because that makes such a difference for their recovery afterwards if their pelvic floor is nice and strong. Yeah. But obviously for the delivery, we want to make sure that they're able to relax really well, that they've got good ability to, to push well and all of those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, if their pelvic floor is too tight, then they can run into some issues with the delivery if they're having a journal birth. Okay. So for our patients, you'd recommend about 20 weeks to come in, irregardless of if they're having any kind of symptom or pain, just for a checkup to assess the pelvic floor before they give birth. Yeah, I think yeah. they get so much out of the, the assessment and kind of yeah. just learning about those muscles. Yeah, becoming um, familiar with that area if you body. Yeah, because so yeah. many women are like a bit hesitant, like they know that they should be doing pelvic floor exercises, but yeah. it's not something that you can like do in front of a mirror or get someone to kind of watch you do it to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Yes. So it's something that they're like, well, I assume I'm doing them right, but then you lose confidence in kind of if you don't know that, that what you're doing is right then there's that in the back of your mind, not knowing whether you're doing more harm than good. Mm. So then they're a bit like, oh, well, I won't do too many because what if I'm not doing them right? Or what if I'm already tight and getting tighter? Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being navigated with or by a health practitioner as well helps so much because it is like a whole new world learning about your pelvic floor, something you've always had, but you may have not become that familiar before. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. So other than um, recovery and delivery, um, Mm. is there pelvic treatment that you recommend for labour preparation? Yeah, so we will like routinely do like a birth prep appointment with anyone that we've seen in pregnancy at about 36 weeks. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're sort of looking at, you know, we've done all our pelvic floor strengthening. We've made sure your strength is really good. Now let's work on sort of getting your muscles really good at letting go. Let's Mm -hmm. work on preparing the pelvis um, for birth. So we'll work on sort of breathing, um, like we've talked about diaphragm breathing stuff. That's really relevant um, in labor prep. Um, because we're wanting to make sure those muscles have a good, a really good capacity to let go and stretch. Yeah. Um, we go through heaps of hip mobility exercises. Yes. Um, you know, obviously your pelvic ligaments are really loose at that point. We want to make sure that your muscles um, have the capacity to stretch. Um, and then we go through um, perineal massage. Um, yes. So whether you want to pick your brains on perineal massage, <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so yeah, we go through perineal massage and and or they might be using a device called the Epino. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so the Epino is um, it stands for no episiotomy. 
Um, It's essentially, (laughs) well, it's trying to prevent women from getting tearing or having to eat. Yeah. Yeah. um, Nickname for it. That's great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's essentially like a little balloon device that goes into the vagina and then it's got a little um, pump up balloon kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of looks like a blood pressure pump thing that you would use um, if you had a cuff on your arm. Um, So you pump that up and then um, it makes the balloon expand at the entrance of the vagina. So you're trying to sort of stretch this the the vaginal entrance we know that you know dilation has to happen to 10 centimeters before you're going to be encouraged to push in a vaginal birth so we want to make sure that your perineum which is the skin um, between the entrance to the vagina and the anus has the capacity to stretch really well Um, otherwise your risk of getting third or fourth degree tears which Mm. can then go all the way through to the anal sphincters um, your risk is high if your tissues are not flexible and don't have good capacity to stretch. Yeah. So we know that, yeah, there's research to suggest that doing perineal massage or using the epino, no research to suggest that one's better than the other. As long yeah. as you're doing something, you're reducing the risk of getting any of those nasty tears. Yeah, okay. And at how many weeks would a woman start doing that? Um, so... We kind of recommend it from about 36 weeks. Oh, yeah. Okay. So part of that labor prep. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think the actual Epino brand suggests that you can start it a bit earlier, but as long okay. as you start from that 36 weeks, we recommend that. I mean, more often than not, um, you've got plenty of time to to work on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of when we'll do that session where we kind of go through all of those things and then we just kind of sit down and talk through the recovery afterwards and kind of give some advice on what's safe to do and what's not Mm -hmm. safe to do um when to start your pelvic floor again and all of those sorts of things so yeah it's that's probably the most beneficial session to have um Mm -hmm. in pregnancy but the thing is if we catch someone at that appointment and we haven't seen them previously and they're really overactive Mm. you've got not as much time to kind of teach those muscles how to start to let go Mm -hmm. so you just kind of working against the clock I guess um if they come in a bit earlier then we've got plenty of time and they won't feel anxious or stressed about sort of trying to get those muscles to let go quickly yeah and so with the epino is that something that a patient needs to have fitted so it's a device that you buy so it's kind of a one size fits all I guess it just um, the actual I should have bought one to show you. Um, I'm thinking the, of the blood pressure. Like, well, not yeah. that big. Um, so, yeah, it's like a little balloon. Um, okay. It would be like, what, maybe like not even 10 centimetres long. Okay. Um, a really kind of like soft, squishy kind of part that goes into the vagina and so it kind of sits in the entrance so it's not like the whole way in because once you go into the vaginal space it's it's a space essentially so we're really just trying to stretch that entrance so it sits kind of half of its inside half of its outside the vagina and then that pressure is expanding in the middle so that's where you get that stretch so then they'll put the device in they'll pump it up until they can really feel that sort of strong stretch and then they'll leave that in they recommend for about 20 minutes every night okay from 36 weeks um and then the the other good thing about the epino is that you can actually practice sort of once you've got to the point where you can really expand that balloon and you can really feel that stretch and that pressure, you can actually practice sort of the breathing and the pushing 
um, so that your body's then getting more used to the sensation of crowning essentially when you're then trying to um, push the baby's head out so that their muscles and their tissues are really used to that sensation. It's almost like a memory, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's really cool. Yeah. 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 Trying to sort of keep those muscles relaxed as you're trying to um, push the device out. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so with postpartum treatment, um, when and why is this important? And I guess if we can delve into prolapse, that would be brilliant. Mm. Yeah. So postpartum, we like to see women at six weeks postpartum. Um, So that's generally around the same time that they'll be seeing their GP or their obstetrician to get their sort of medical clearance. We want to kind of wait that six weeks because if they've had any stitches, um, scar tissue and all that sort of thing, we want to just give them some time to to settle. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to make sure that the connective tissue has had some time to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and ideally, if they've had their medical clearance first, then their GP or obstetrician will have checked that scar tissue is healing nicely. Um, there's no kind of medical issues. And then we can kind of go ahead, do our internal check, check their pelvic floor yeah. um, and see how they're going with their strengthening exercises. Um, we also want to kind of go through um, a check of the vaginal walls. So this is when we kind of come to more of a prolapse assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, so prolapse is descent of any of the pelvic organs into the vaginal space. So mm-hmm. your bladder, your uterus, or your bowel can have some mobility in it. Um, if the ligaments that were holding them up inside the pelvis have been stretched um, okay. um, with the delivery. Yeah. Um, so we want to just check kind of whether the bladder's moving, whether the bowel's moving or whether the uterus is kind of descending into the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes women can have a bit of movement and have no symptoms. Yeah. So they might have a stage one um, anterior wall or bladder prolapse, but they may have no symptoms. But then someone can come in and have heaviness, dragging sensation, feeling like they can't empty their bladder, um, And yeah, they may have a really mild amount of movement or they might have a lot of movement. So it can be really variable. Someone can have lots of movement and no symptoms and someone can have hardly any movement and all the symptoms under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to kind of get a good idea of how much movement there is and work out what sort of exercise do they want to get back to? Do they want to get back into high intensity um, training? Do they want to be able to run? Um, um, And then that kind of gives us an indication of, okay, let's work on your pelvic floor for a little bit. And then depending on how much movement there is and how much, how how many symptoms they've got, how symptomatic are they? Then we work out, is pelvic floor going to do enough to sort of help support the prolapse from underneath? Is that sort of backup support is your pelvic floor? Because we can't repair those ligaments once they've been stretched. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so... Is it sooner the better you find the prolapse? Um, look, it again depends it on depends, symptoms. Doesn't it? Yeah, because but it doesn't they may have always had a little bit of mobility, and we just yeah. may never have known. We can't always say that it's a direct result of um, the pushing stage in labour. Right. Um, they may have had, you know, they may have done some heavy lifting um, yeah. for a long time. Mm. Um, we can see women who haven't had any kids that have significant prolapse. Um, if they've had chronic constipation over a long time, they may have had chronic respiratory conditions where they've been doing heaps of coughing, sneezing. Yeah. 
so yeah it's not it's not always um from the vaginal delivery you can still get it from the carrying the weight of a pregnancy even if you have a caesar so yeah it's it's i mean highly talked about in terms of its relation to pushing in labor but not always the direct cause of that so yeah then we can talk about um pessary management so yeah. a pessary is like a silicon device that goes into the vagina that essentially holds up or supports the prolapse so yeah. we kind of use the analogy that it's like when women go and um, go for a run you wear your sports bra you want to support your breasts same yeah. thing with your pelvic organs like sometimes you need to wear a pessary to actually support your bladder or to support your bowel um, and they can work really well for the majority of women in terms of like relieving any symptoms that they have. And it just gives them the confidence that they can go and run and they can do high impact exercise and there's not going to be any worsening of their prolapse. Okay, great. And yeah. so with the six week postpartum checkup, mm. is that only for patients who have had a vaginal delivery or is that also for patients who have experienced a Caesar? Yeah, we highly recommend all women should come in for a six-week yeah. check regardless yeah, of delivery mode because yeah. we still want to, um, if they've had a Caesar, they're going to need some rehabilitation on their abdominal wall. Yeah. All those layers have been kind of cut through and they may have abdominal separation that needs treating. Yeah. Um, and regardless, like you lose so much core strength in pregnancy, we want to kind of make sure that their lower back's not starting to suffer from mm-hmm. their yeah. pain a bit of weakness in their core mm-hmm. and just kind of going through what's safe and and what's not it's sort of you've got to really start from those basics in terms of your core mm-hmm. strengthening yeah. um, and then gradually kind of progress those exercises but um, we'll still do an internal pelvic floor check after cesarean deliveries because again you've carried the weight of the baby on your pelvic floor yeah. for nine months there can still be a degree of stretch and potential need to rehabil- rehabilitate um, those pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um wanted to ask one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I have a question about breech babies. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You go because my question's about menopause. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, now I wanted to ask in terms of breech babies. So yep. we see lots of women coming into the clinic, and we have an acupuncture treatment protocol that we do. Yeah. Do you find benefit from the style of your the treatments that you do for breech babies working through the pelvic so, floor or the hips or we don't really feel like we have much of an impact in terms of like repositioning baby or yeah. um, doing any like we don't have any specific techniques that we would use okay. um i guess the reason that we would ask like for baby position say at that 36 week check we'll be saying okay like do we know if baby's head down do we know if baby's engaged if baby is in breach then we're kind of it more affects our treatment in that we're probably expecting them to have to potentially have a cesarean so we're kind of going through okay let's go through um you know how we need to get you to wound support we need to get you wearing um, recovery shorts and just trying to do everything we can to sort of give you abdominal support and compression to help your recovery yeah Um, and still going through pelvic floor and we still want them to be working on their pelvic floor in that first six weeks postpartum but yeah i guess for us we're more asking those questions um to help us determine um what whether they need to be doing perineal massage do they need to be spending as much time doing that if it's pretty likely that they might be having a cesarean Mm. okay yeah that's good to know yeah yeah 
So, um, from <laughs> so from <laughs> menopausal, sorry, so jumping to menopause um, with yep. vaginal dryness and yep. um, and the way that we do see the pelvic floor change in vaginal atrophy and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So mm. through this transition period, does pelvic floor and internal physio have a role? Yeah. So I guess we will tend to see women going through menopause or who've been postmenopausal um mm-hmm. who will have yeah they might have dyspnea so pain with intercourse they yeah. might have um they might have started to become symptomatic of a prolapse which they may have always had but mm-hmm. because of the irritation and dryness on the tissues um yeah. because they're so low estrogen then they can become really symptomatic of something that may have been there before or because their tissues are like you said, um, atrophied. Mm. Um, Sometimes you'll have someone who's come in and they've done a gym class or they've, you know, gone from doing not heaps of exercise, but, you know, they've increased their activity Mm. and then they've gone to lift some weights and they've just felt this twang. And Mm. that's more often than not kind of where those like acute prolapses tend to come from um it's really like not as common to get that um when you're younger it's Mm. when your tissues then start to as we said um change in menopause that their distensibility is just very different um so yeah i guess we tend to see more symptoms at that time which then Mm. would yeah prompt us to assess what their strength is like um nine times out of ten women postpartum will be good with their pelvic floor exercises and then they'll get to a point where you know if they're not having any symptoms they're going to forget to do them um so they probably haven't been working on pelvic floor um and then we might be assessing yeah they may have a prolapse yes they might need to be on an estrogen cream or something like that to try and help lubricate their tissues um because that can make a huge difference sometimes to their heaviness and and symptoms and Heidi, is that something that you could prescribe or they'd have to go to their GP to get that? That's a GP. Yeah. yeah. So that's something that we'll kind of recommend that they look into doing, or they might be seeing gynecologist or um, yeah, it's more of kind of a medical referral for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something that we in the clinic see tends to make yeah. a big difference to a lot of women if they're eligible um, and if they're able to use it. And for patients uh, post-hysterectomy or partial hysterectomy, do you find that you also play a role in their rehabilitation or recovery? Yeah. So we really like to see women before um, hysterectomy if they... Before. Um, yeah, ideally. Okay. Yeah, okay, if, if they know that pelvic floor exists and if their gynae has been really good um, in recommending that they do that mm. um, because we want to try and get their pelvic floor nice and strong. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. post surgery, um, same with any sort of pelvic surgery. Yeah. You, because there's going to be potentially pain in the area, um, there can be, yeah, restrictions on what they're allowed to do. We yeah. want to kind of give them a, some advice on when they can do their pelvic floor, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, assessment on what their pelvic floor is like pre surgery, and then see them once they've got their, their clearance um, to do an internal again and see what's happened to their strength and then kind of build that build that from there yeah 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 great thanks so much Heidi thank you that was so informative well I can't wait to have you guys on because we've got lots of questions for you as well yeah, we're so excited yeah great. yeah good thanks so much for your time Heidi it's been great
Thank no you, worries. Heidi. It was great to chat. All yeah. right. See you, girls. Okay, see you later, Bye. honey. Bye.